At Qualcomm, we believe in staying connected, and you can see us wherever 5G is helping transform telemedicine, supporting remote education, and powering mobile PCs. The Invention Age is here. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash invention age. Our special guest today is Chris Martinson, dear friend of ours. We've traveled throughout the world with Chris and Adam Taggart, his partner. And Chris is the author of The Crash Course, The Unsustainable of Our Economy, Energy, and Environment. So Chris will be on first, and Adam will be out of a meeting soon, and he'll join us to talk about their latest book. It's called Prosper. But let me just say something before we go any further. The hardest thing for most people is to change. You know, it's easier and easy. It's very easy just to do the same old thing and hope everything will come out. And what the, why this program is important is because if you're not changing, the odds are you're going to be wiped out. In other words, if you're still, you know, looking for job security and saving money and investing for the long term of the stock market, you know, you're, you know, what might be grass. So it's change we're talking about today. And for those of you who are hard-headed and say, well, uh, it's, it's, it, the economy will come back and all this, this is your program. Because in his book, The Crash Course, Chris Martinson writes about the coming 20 years will not be anything like the past 20 years. And the past 20 years have been hell. You know, since 2000 to 2010, there were three major Major, the biggest crashes in the world happened between 2000 and 2010. There were two stock market crashes and one real estate subprime mortgage crash. And nobody says anything about that. On top of that, we've had terrorism strikes every single day. But our, our press does not tell us. They talk about Belgium and talk about San Bernardino. But we've had terrorist strikes every single day. And if you read Rich Dad's Prophecy again in 2002, I predict that the markets would come down, but I also predicted the rise of terrorism because when I was in Vietnam, I saw terrorism. Today, you can replace the word ISIS with Viet Cong. It's the same type of warfare. You cannot kill terrorism because they don't have factories, they don't have harbors, and they don't have airports. So terrorism is cheap. So 2002 predicted, Rich Dad's prophecy predicted that 2016 would be your year to make changes but you've got to be less stubborn. Any comments, Kim? Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to this show because um, Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart. Um, Chris is an economic researcher and future futurist, and he specializes in energy resource depletion. Uh, also the co-founder of PeakProsperity.com along with Adam. And we were talking just before the show, and uh, Chris made a very interesting point. He said, as all of this stuff is unraveling, the problem is it's not what you don't know, it's what you think you know that's not true. So Chris and Adam are going to unveil some truths about what's really going on and then give us some practical steps that we can all use to better prepare for all that's happening, all that's coming down the road. So I'm looking forward to the show. So Dr. Chris Martinson, why did you write Crash Course? Tell us, tell us, tell us. Uh, well, Robert and Kim, it's great to be back with you and all your listeners uh, you know, I wrote 
crash course because nobody else had. Uh, there were a bunch of, of pieces of data I was looking at, and, and it seemed so obvious to me what was happening. And, you know, when I was reading Wall Street Journal or other financial press to try and understand why my portfolio was doing poorly back in 2000, they were all looking just at the economy as if you could just look at the economy. And it's very complex, you know, how it works. And, and, but you could understand it just by looking at it. And I quickly realized that's like a, a farmer only looking at rain. You know, there's soil, too, and, and there's a market for your crops. There are other things you have to take into account. So I quickly understood that understanding where we were in the energy story was critical, as well as the environment, which means the resources we take out, uh, depleting mine ores, things like that, also pollution going back in. Understanding all three of these at once suddenly made the world begin to make sense. And when I put all of these pieces together, I had one conclusion, which is, oh, my goodness, our economic model is unsustainable. And Kim, you're exactly right. The biggest mistake I see people making today is that they assume that how things used to work is just how they're going to work in the future, maybe a little different. My, my view is that the future is going to be very, very different. And people who see that coming uh, can really seize the opportunity. The people who don't, I think, are going to be in for a rough ride. And, and Chris, don't, don't also people assume that it's going to be fixed, <laughs> that somebody, that government or somebody is going to take care of it. I don't really don't have to worry about it because, oh, they'll figure it out. Exactly. That's one of the three biggest mistakes I see people making today is assuming that they have everything under control. Uh, you, you, get, you just have to spend a little time with these people who, who are um, really uh, fully enmeshed in high finance and economics, and they're just people, and they have biases and uh, they're worried about uh, losing their jobs if they say the wrong thing. So I have very different conversations with people behind closed doors than I do when they're out in public uh, talking their book. So behind closed doors, there's a lot of concern for our system right now. And the more uh, experience people have in our financial system, and as far as I can tell, the more scared they are right now. So in um, Crash Course, and then we'll get to your latest book, Prosper, What You Can Do, you know, you gave this example or a metaphor of somebody sitting in a large uh, stadium, such as Yankee Stadium, and just looking around and saying, hey, everything is fine. Everything is fine. Why do I have to worry? So when I went crash course, I went, oh, my God, you described exactly what's going on with most people. They're sitting around. They're saying, hey, the stadium's not – there's no water in the stadium. Everything is fine. I can sit here, eat my popcorn and eat my hot dog and watch the teams play baseball. So would you give your metaphor for what you use in Crash Course of what's going to happen as the stadiums fill up with water? I'd love to, uh, because this is the honorary fourth E in, in the Crash Course story. The first three are economy, energy, environment. Here's the fourth one, exponential growth. Uh, and I know some people listening to that are like, uh-oh, is this math? Here's why this is really important. Exponential growth is measuring something that grows really slowly at first, but then goes really fast at the end. And it's anything that's growing by some percentage over time. And that's a hard concept to, to really, uh, even for mathematicians to understand. So the example I came up with is this. Um, imagine that I have a magic water dropper. And it's magic because when I take a drop of water out of it, that drop of water is going to double every minute. So I put a drop in your hand, and after one minute, you have two drops. And after another minute, you got four drops. And after five minutes, you can fill a thimble up with, with this magic water. So the example is we go to a stadium, pick one of the biggest ones you've ever been in, 
And let's do two things. The first is we're going to make it watertight. And the second is we're going to handcuff you to the highest row of bleacher seats. You're way up there in the nosebleed. And here's what's going to happen. You're handcuffed up there. I go down onto the 50-yard mark. I put one of these magic drops of water down, and it begins to double every minute. So the question is this. How long do you have to escape from your handcuffs? And I give audiences this, and people shout out all kinds of answers. They say, you know, a, a year, a month, a week, you know, a few hours, and it's all over the place, which shows that people have, you know, are, are just have, have a, it's hard to really guess what the answer is going to be here. And the answer is you have 50 minutes to escape um, from your handcuffs. And, and if it turns out your stadium was twice as big as the one I was imagining and running the numbers on, then it would be 51 minutes. That's how long you would get to uh, have to escape. So what you're saying is when it hits, it's going to hit, right? The people say, right, what happened? Right. So, yeah, and here's the thing. It, here's that, the, when it's full is not the most important question. The answer is 50 minutes. Here's the important question. At what time is this park still 97% empty space, just a little bit of water down on the field? And how many people really uh, are aware of the seriousness of their predicament? And the answer is, at 45 minutes into this story, it's still only 3% full. But in the last five minutes, that's it. It's, it fills up. So everything goes along really slowly for a long time. People are eating their hot dogs. There's no fear. Everything's okay. And then the next thing they know, it's over, and the, and the park is full. And the reason I give this example is because we're surrounded by exponential growth in our money system, in debt in our use of resources. Uh, it, all of these things are growing exponentially, which is why it's so hard for people today to stay on top of things. Once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show. Our guest today is Chris Martinson, and he's recapping his great book, the book that I read. It's called The Crash Course. What we're saying is you better start changing. And as we said in the introduction, change could be the hardest single thing for people to do. And so that's why this program is very important. So we're going to go, we're going to be going later on with his partner, Adam Taggart. And Chris and Adam are co-authors of a book called Prosper. How you prepare for this future that's coming and how do you create a world worth inheriting. Any comments, Kim? So I just want to say, so when I read Crash Course, it really was an eye-opener. And I, and your example that you're using, Chris, I think is, is spot on in terms of people are not really paying attention. They think somebody else is going to fix it. Everything looks okay. The news says, you know, economy's strong. It's re- We're getting out of recession, da-da-da-da. And all of a sudden, it's going to come and hit you. So this is a really important program if you need to just wake up. Just wake up and start paying attention to what's going on. And it's time to make changes. Like I said, it's really tough to change. It's like I learned to play golf when I was 10 years old. The problem was I was self-taught. And now to unlearn and make changes is very, very hard. The first part of this program, we had Chris Martinson. He's an economic researcher and futurist specializing in energy and resource depletion. He's co-founder of Peak Prosperity. And he's the author of The Crash Course, The Unsustainable Future of our economy, energy, and environment. And Chris talked about number one is how the next 20 years will not be like the past 20 years. And I said the past 20 years have been hellacious. You know, in 2010, from 2000 to 2010, we've had three of the biggest crashes in world history. It dwarfs the crash of 19, each one dwarfs the crash of 1929. 
and the two crashes were the stock market crashes and then the real estate crash. And everybody thinks things are not changing. It's going to be the same. The economy is going to come back. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. And the second thing that Chris talked about in the first section was the idea of sitting in, let's say, Yankee Stadium, and you put one dropper of water and you doubled it every minute. How long would it take the entire Yankee Stadium to fill up? And you were, you were handcuffed to the top of the stadium. The time is 50 minutes. And up until 20, about 45 minutes, everything looks fine. seems a little damp, but everything is fine. But within the last three to five minutes, the whole thing fills up. So we'll be talking this part of this program with their latest book. It's called Prosper. In other words, we give you the bad news. Now comes the good news. And Prosper is how to prepare for the future and create a world worth inheriting. So welcome to the program, Adam and Chris. Thank you, Robert. It's great to be here. Where are you at now, Adam? Uh, I am back up in my uh, hometown. I live up in Sonoma County, California, a little town here called Sebastopol. God's uh, country. I moved here after ejecting from uh, Silicon Valley. But, yeah, I think you and Kim have spent some time up in the area. Yeah, we <laughs> have. It's beautiful up there. And tell us, I mean, we're talking about change. What changes did you make to get, like you were in corporate, right? weren't you with a company called Yahoo or something? I was. I was. So uh, right out of college, I started actually uh, working for Merrill Lynch as an investment banker. So I got a, a couple of years, uh, look, you know, firsthand view of how the Wall Street machine works, um, which, which really put the fear of God in me more than anything. And, uh, and I left Wall Street and um, made my way out to Silicon Valley and worked there for about uh, 15 years, almost 10 of those with Yahoo, like you just mentioned. So I was definitely in the, in the belly of the corporate beast, um, you know, strapped uh, firmly to the, uh, the rat race wheel and uh, trying to climb that corporate ladder. Uh, you know, all the things that you guys uh, write about in terms of, you know, really what, what turns out to be a recipe for um, both uh, serfdom and, uh, and, and unfulfillment in life. And uh, after I began reading a lot of Chris's material when he was first publishing the Crash Course video series back in 2008 uh, and reading other uh, curious analytical minds like him, um, I really began tapping into the, the, the big picture of the coming change that you two, I think, just summarized very well. Uh-huh. So when I realized what the future was going to be like, <clears throat> I really looked at my current lifestyle and said, wow, this is not preparing me well at all for those coming changes. And so I uprooted from Silicon Valley. I moved my family to a, a much more rural, sustainable location, um, a place where there's a, a lot of natural resources, a lot of productive land, uh, a lot of community that uh, kind of gets why sustainability is important and is there to support one another, and uh, really kind of radically changed my lifestyle. So Chris and I co-founded Peak Prosperity. We are now full-fledged entrepreneurs. Uh, We have become local investors, largely influenced by the work that you and Kim have done, Robert, as well as uh, some of your uh, Rich Dad advisors. And uh, I now uh, am am much more resilient in terms of the, the way in which I live my life, which means I produce a certain amount of my calories locally. Uh, there's just so many things that I'm not nearly as dependent upon uh, the you know, major institutions that, that the vast majority of the masses just sort of take for granted. And if, if the changes that come are, are uh, uh, challenging, you know, I'm much better prepared for that. But even if they're not, I've really enhanced my quality of life. And, yeah, and that's it, really the underlying story between, uh, behind the, the new book that Chris and I have written. So your change was to move to God's country up in Sonoma and Napa County and enjoy life up there. Exactly, as well as the local wineries. Right. And then so 
We're talking today about your latest book that you and um, Chris and Adam wrote, Prosper. Because, you know, we say Rich Dad is about the good news and bad news about money. I really see the coming changes as really good news because we're preparing for it, which is why change is so crucial. So would you mind telling us, uh, either one of you, what is Prosper about? I'll take that one. Um, this is Chris. So Prosper is, is the solution space that, that follows on after the crash course. That's problem definition. You know, people can open up newspapers and figure out there's some, some problems out there. This was our answer after having spent uh, a number of years together running seminars, talking to people, walking the talk ourselves, uh, really refashioning our own lives to be happier, healthier, more resilient. And it was finally time to put all of that into a book. So in this book, what we've done is we've organized the book around this idea that financial capital is really just one form of capital that you can own in your life. And most people start there. It's important. They want to manage it well, and they spend some time there. But once you've got your financial capital sort of squared away or you think you understand it, um, or particularly if you don't have a lot of financial capital, the next thing to understand is that there are other forms of capital that are really important. And so those other forms of capital would be things like social capital, not just how many people you know, but how well you know them, how much you can depend on them, uh, what level of trust you have with them. Living capital is your own personal health and body. Adam and I have both done extraordinary personal body transformations um, based on our, our conclusions and findings, uh, as well as uh, the natural world around you that, that I look out my window and I see a big vegetable garden and an orchard and, and things like that. So that's living capital. And then probably the most important form that I think, in my judgment, Adam can have a different one, is emotional capital or emotional resilience or emotional intelligence, however you like to think about it, which could also be a form of spiritual capital, meaning if you have all the money in a great homestead and you got good friends but trouble comes and you fall apart mentally, emotionally, it doesn't matter how much of those other things you have. So making sure that, that you are emotionally resilient is critically important because the next economic crisis isn't going to kill people. It's the reaction to it that's going to really hurt people. That's, that's a fantastic insight because, you know, that's how Kim and I base our lives too. You know, because, you know, when we both saw our fathers lose their jobs and they never recovered. You know, and, and if there is a giant recession coming or possibly depression, millions upon millions of people will lose their job. And if you're not emotionally or spiritually strong, that's the most important capital of all. Would you so, say so, Kim? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's crucial for us. Um, and I have I always want to back up for a second, Chris, because you you've said several times that the next twenty years are not going to be like the past twenty years. So, what are some of the trends you and Adam see in the next twenty years? What's it going to look like? Well, uh, you know, just looking economically, the world is now sitting on the largest pile of debt it's ever sat upon. And it seems inescapable to me, and I think Adam as well, that there was going to be a gigantic debt-fueled financial crisis. It could be uh, a series of small shocks or one giant big one. I don't know yet, but somewhere between here and there, uh, we're going to see a lot of destruction of financial wealth. Uh, so that's, that's one for sure given. And the second thing is, right now oil prices are kind of low, but tracking uh, where we are in terms of not investing in new oil production two or three years down the line, here's a prediction. Be prepared for oil shortages and price spikes and things like that. Uh, so we're looking at, at the next 20 years being very turbulent. We're going to see a lot of attempts to rescue the markets and a lot of the markets falling apart. Political pressures are going to increase. Social pressures are going to increase. The terrorism you talked about 
Robert, in the first segment, that's going to increase because in many cases terrorism is just a, an outflow of people's really poor economic prospects um, that, that exist all, in all sorts of regions in the world. We see that increasing. So what we see is things getting a little bit uh, uh, more turbulent, a little bit um, more volatile, and as well uh, darker for people before we get to the, to the rebuilding part. Our goal, the reason we wrote the book, is we say, look, while that's happening, you don't have to be uh, caught up in that in the same way that other people who are unprepared are caught up in it, and you can be positioning yourself to, as you say, not be a victim of that. In fact, we think there are extraordinary opportunities coming, and which is why we call this next period, it's not going to be a period of wealth destruction. It's going to be a period of wealth transfer. And make sure you're on the right side of that line when the transfer happens. Once again, Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. Our two guests today are Dr. Chris Martinson, he's economic researcher and futurist, author of the book The Crash Course, The Unsustainable Future of Your Economy, Energy, and Environment, and also Adam Taggart, who's president and co-founder of Peak Prosperity, and Chris and Adam have co-founders of the book Prosper, and we're talking right now about kind of the bad news, what to expect, but as you know, it's only a point of view. Like when, this talk, when the real estate markets crashed in 2007, it was really good news for Kim and I, right? It was. <laughs> we we did very very well, but we but also we were anticipating it. I yeah, mean, you we're were calling it. For it. You were calling it. So it's really good news, but it's a point of view. And again, we started this whole show. Both Chris, Adam, Kim, and I have made tremendous changes in our lives, not because we want to, but because we have to. And possibly the hardest thing to do are are to make changes. So let me go to Adam. Anything you want to add to those thoughts there, Adam? Sure. A lot of people uh, will, will tend to play the victim in their minds and say, well, I can't do that because I don't have enough money. Well, that's actually exactly backwards. Seven of the eight forms of capital that we go through in the book really require almost no financial investment at all. There is uh, certainly plenty of things you can do and should do with your money, but there's a, 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 just a, a world of action that you can take um, that doesn't really require funds uh, to be spent at all. Um, so, you know, first underlying message there is anybody of any means of any background uh, can take uh, steps to, to put themselves in, in a much better position for these coming changes. And uh, I, I wanted to build on something that, that, you know, that Kim had said is, you know, you guys were mentioning that um, uh, the, the last uh, stock market correction was, was really good for you guys because you had positioned yourself intelligently beforehand. And that's what really Chris's and my mission is. We're bringing information to help people make decisions, but at the end of the day, what we want people to take is prudent action in their lives so that when these changes arrive, you'll be positioned to either be less vulnerable to them or able to actually prosper, uh, profit from them, prosper from them. So um, this really is all about switching that mindset of, of, of playing the victim, as Kim mentioned earlier, uh, and, and really putting yourself in the mindset of the hero in your life and saying, look, what can I do today to make sure that no matter how the future unfolds, I'm going to be better off than if I had done nothing? Because don't delude yourself. Doing nothing is a choice. We don't think it's a very good choice, but it's a choice nonetheless. So um, it's really all about, you know, what, what are the key steps that you can take today to position yourself better, um, really almost regardless of how the, the future plans out? Because as I mentioned earlier, um, if, if, if we're right and you take the steps that we recommend in the book, uh, you're going to be much better off because you're going to be either insulated against these, uh, these coming changes or you're going to actually be able to, to profit from them. So once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki. We're talking to Chris uh, Martinson and Adam Taggart. Let me ask you this question to all you people listening right now. What happens if you and, let's say, your married, your spouse lose your jobs? 
What happens if the stock market does crash like I predicted in Rich Dad's prophecy and your retirement is wiped out and all you're left with stacks of debt? You know, that's what happened for both Kim and I. Both our fathers lost their jobs. This was years and years and years ago, but it really affected us. And the reason Kim and I didn't stick with the corporate route of job security and all that is because we knew that was a trap. And I think that's one of the hardest things to change are your thoughts. Because we're talking about change. And one of the hardest things to do is change, especially when you think, oh, well, you know, everything will work out. Nothing's going to be wrong. And as I said earlier, in 2002, I published a book called Rich Dad's Prophecy, which predicted the biggest stock market crash coming in 2016. And on schedule, January 2016, the market tank went down. Everybody panicked. But also, I said there would be an intermediate crash, which came in 2007, 2008. And because Kim and I and many of our Rich Dad advisors were prepared for it, the crash was the best thing that ever happened to us. And that's when we came across Chris Martinson's book, The Crash Course. And now Chris and Adam Taggart, business partners, are authors, co-authors of the book called Prosper. And now that we've given you the bad news, we can tell you the good news. But the thing is, are you willing to change? Any comments, Kim? Yeah, well, I, you know, I look at some of the things that we did, you and me, Robert, um, and, and it took years for that to finally it, now it's all paying off. Now we're doing well. And so what we're talking to with Chris and Adam right now is this crisis, as you said, Robert, as you predicted back in 2002, this crisis may be hitting this year. And there are action steps you can take now to prepare and actually be in place for what's going to happen. So that's what I want to talk about now is what are these action steps? What can we do? And as Adam said, most of these things they're talking about doesn't take a lot of money. So my question is, what if you lose your job? What if, your, you know, what if your retirement account is wiped out? What happens if you can't afford to put food on the table? You know, I mean, those are questions that are legitimate that you should be asking yourself now. And you say, well, that's terrifying. Well, it may be good to terrify you because you may want to take action. But if you're going to sit there fat, dumb, and happy and eat your Doritos, this is not your program for you. So, as I said it is with Chris Martinson, Adam Taggart. Their website is peakprosperity.com. Their latest book is Prosper. So we're going to be talking about what we are really doing, not just talking about to make changes. So let's start with Chris. What changes have you done to prepare and prosper when the S hits the fan? First thing I did is I took advantage of time. It takes time to make these changes, which Kim alluded to there. And so uh, I started a number of years ago. Everything in the book Prosper is something I've already done myself. So uh, I have a homestead now. I'm on just two acres. It's a very standard suburban house, but I have solar hot water and solar photovoltaics, so I can manufacture some of my own heat and electricity here. I've re-insulated my house. I have a garden with uh, very rich soils in there, and I've learned how to garden. I have a nice orchard. I have bees and chickens all on a couple acres, in, in a, and I could do it on a half acre as well if I needed to. This is out in Massachusetts? And yeah, right in Massachusetts, so it's probably not the best growing environment in the world, but uh, we, we grow a lot and, and manage to do that. And, and the point I want to make about that is, is that I, I, gain, I have a lot of enjoyment, a lot of satisfaction, quality of life, because I happen to enjoy uh, the, the, the process of growing things and tending to them. So that's something that gives me it's my, my meditation. So um, these changes have been extraordinarily good for me, my family, uh, for my budget, too, because... What we do in the book Prosper is we upend that concept of investment. Investment doesn't mean 
taking all your money and handing it to Wall Street and hoping for the best. Uh, my solar hot water on my roof is an investment. It's going to pay itself back in eight years. And what I'm doing is spending money today to have less cash flow out my door in the future. And I can justify it. The system will last 25 years, so it has to have well over 100% rate of return. Uh, try and find that on Wall Street today. So once again, you have social capital. You have good friends and family, which makes trust, uh, trust around you. You have a living capital. You're taking better care of your health, not, not so stressed out. And emotional and spiritual capital. That's what it all gives you. Yes, absolutely. And, and to that, we also add a, a few others. Right. There's knowledge capital, which is the things you know plus the things you've actually done, the experience you have putting those to use. And uh, that's so knowledge uh, capital, really important. And your knowledge capital is part of your social capital. That, that's why we have advisors. We have but p- different people from different professions that can all, we all support each other. So, Adam, what, are you, what have you done to change, to prosper in the future? Well, I've done a lot of the same things that Chris mentioned. Um, one thing he alluded to in the previous segment, too, is we really both sort of transformed our uh, physical health situations. Um, I think both of us combined have lost about uh, 60 pounds between the two of us um, and gotten into some of the best shape of our lives, which commensurately has uh, you know, put us in the best health of our lives, and we rarely have to go to the doctors anymore except just for checkups. Um, so you know, investing in your, your own body and your own health. Which, um, which is, is a really good point, Adam, because if this thing, if, if all the, you know what, is the fan, um, people who are not healthy, they're going to, that's going to be a major problem. I mean, what if electricity goes out and you're on medication and you can't get medication? So health actually is, a, I can understand that as being a, a form of capital. Oh, ab- ab- absolutely. Yeah. And not only, not only one that just, you know, returns quality of life on a day for day basis, but to your point, Kim, you know, in times of crisis, when you really need to depend on yourself to do things that you're depending on others to do for you today, uh, if your body is not in a state where it can function to do that, you're, you're really out of luck. So, Kim, what have you done to prepare for this crisis coming? Because we, we actually prosper very well from the crisis so far. <laughs> we have, we have. And, and, you know, one of the things we do after listening to, to Chris and to Adam is um, we actually have different homes, different places where, um, where we have a community. We have one place where we have a community. Everybody knows everybody. They all look out for everybody. And it's a hunting area also, so many people are armed. Um, we have food. We have gold. We have silver. We have things that are real wealth. We have fresh water. We have fish. We have animals running around the place. And a lot of Marines because it's near Paris Island, South Carolina. And we have generals and colonels and all that. They all love guns. So if you live in one of those (laughs) communist republics where Chris and Adam (laughs) live called Massachusetts and California, you better find guys who like guns. And and one thing you said, Adam, is is you have to trust. You you can't build trust. It's very hard to build trust once the crisis hits. You know, it's like, trust me, trust me. Well, you've got to build that trust ahead of time. So we've been, you know, nurturing these relationships and getting to know everybody and, and having this community of friends that is very important. I'm really glad you underscored that because most people think about preparing really in terms of collecting physical resources. And when it comes to community, people have this really strange mindset where they feel like, well, when the time arrives, I'll, I'll go get myself some of that, right? And, uh, and it just doesn't work that way. It's not like something you can go in and buy off the shelf. It, almost like a, building a garden. It, it takes years and years to develop. Um, you, you know, if you were just to parachute into the, the locations that you were just talking about, where those people didn't know who you are, 
you know, especially in terms of a time of crisis, they're going to see you as an intruder, right. not, not as part of a community there. So getting involved now, building those relationships, you know, building that social capital where you're getting to know each other and helping each other is really, really important to be doing in advance. So, Chris, um, a lot of people live in cities. You know, Phoenix is a very big city. Manhattan, they live in cities. Um, not everybody's going to be, be able to up, uproot their family and move to a, a little farm or a couple acres outside of the city. What could somebody do that lives in a city right now to better prepare? Well, you know, the most probable way that all of this goes is it's going to unfold over a long period of time. And you have to have a plan. You have to develop some sort of a plan. So let's say somebody followed our advice. They built up cash right now. They, they've got a little bit of gold. But when the time comes, what's your plan going to be? How are you going to use that? What are you going to do? So we recommend everybody develop a plan for sorts of assets that they would like to own uh, You know, when, when we get to another part of this particular story. But everybody, everybody ought to have, as a minimum, as a prudent adult, uh, the ability to tend to their family or themselves, we think, uh, for uh, at least 30 days. So that, that means, means having some food, some water, the ability to defend yourself, uh, the things like that cash out of the bank, uh, gold not in a, in a paper gold tracking trust hidden in some Wall Street vault, but in your hot little hand somehow. Uh, we think very much that people ought to be having these sorts of preparations in place today. And, and by the way, point we make in the book, if you make those preparations today, that's prudent. If you try and uh, go to the store and, and buy things when the crisis is there, that's called hoarding. That is irresponsible. We're, we do not support that in the slightest. Well, what Kim and I did, we, we are hoarders. We bought, I think we bought about three years' worth of food. I think it costs us about $25,000. Now you go, well, why is that? I don't know. The reason we do that is if the crash comes and you try to go to the store, you're going to stand in line. And that's the biggest problem. So that's why being prepared is Kim and I invested in freeze-dried food in different locations. And we have cash outside the bank. And we have gold and silver in safe places away from our homes so we can access them in case we need them. It's actually insurance. Yeah, it's all of this is insurance because if the bank shut down, which they did in Greece and they have done throughout history, if you don't have cash, you're in trouble. But the good news is if you have cash or gold, or silver, or food, or water, or guns and bullets, you have resources at that point. So it's kind of a negative way of thinking, but when I think negatively, I prepare for that, and then I can think freely about operating happily into the future. So when we right. come and back... Well, Robert, not only are you operating happily yourself, but you're also in a position to help others. Well, I'll also protect myself from others because I am a former Marine. I've seen what happens when people panic and they don't have food to feed their kids and all this. They're not rational. No. So that's what I'm trying to say to you. Most people in America live in la-la land. And if you've ever seen what happens when people cannot eat or they're terrified or what's going on with mass migrations in Europe right now, that's where terrorism comes from. And that's why I wrote in my book, Rich Dad's Prophecy, in 2002, you're going to see a rise of terrorism because terrorism is cheap. You can't bomb their factories, their harbors, or their airports because they don't have any. All they have is a cell phone, and that's the most powerful thing they have today. And now we're going into the most favorite part of our program. It's called Ask Robert, and our special guests today, Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart, authors of the book The Crash Course and Prosper, have agreed to stay stand by and answer your questions. 
for Ask Robert, and you can submit your questions to askrobert at richdadradio.com. First question, Melissa. Our first question today comes from JJ in Kansas City. His question is this. His favorite book, by the way, is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So JJ's question is this. I've heard that the next bailout will be funded by our bank savings accounts. Cash being a major player in an investment strategy, I feel inclined to have some. But what's the best way to save cash if banks or IRA cash accounts may steal it? That's a good question. Yeah, what he's talking about is a thing called a bail-in. And a bail-in is very simply this. If the bank is sitting there, they're out of money, well, then the saver's money is technically their money. So you might have, let's say, $1,000 in there that they'll bail in. They'll say, we'll just take the $1,000 from Joe Smith and we'll use it to help the bank out. So that's called a bail-in, or they can also take it from your retirement accounts. Any comments, Chris or Adam? Yeah, what, what, do you, what, what, do you, what would you tell people? Because I just want to say that there was a story, I think it was in the Midwest, some town in the Midwest, and there was this rash of burglaries. And when they went in there, they found mattresses, the bed mattresses slashed open. And what was happening is these burglars were actually finding cash hidden in the mattresses because people weren't trusting the banks. So is that what we're supposed to do? Are we supposed to actually hide our, our, our money in mattresses? Well, maybe. Um, I, I use a safe deposit box. But, but this person's asking an important question, and Robert, you, you had your thumb right on it, which is that um, who can you really trust? The banks have now changed the rules. It's something that always happens in crises. The rules get changed. Very hard to make plans when they change the rules. And one of those rule changes was that when banks get in trouble, they can consider your deposit, your money in the bank, to be an unsecured loan to the bank. You might not know that's what you're doing when you put your money in the bank, but you're making an unsecured loan to a financial institution. So um, what we recommend is that uh, people steer clear of the biggest of the big banks. They may sound safer because the government will always bail them out, you might think. But they're the ones with the biggest derivative exposures. They have trillions and trillions on the books. I don't personally trust them. I use smaller local banks, and I also don't keep too much money in any one account. Nothing over the FDIC limit, uh, for sure, and, uh, and, and that's the best I can do. But if you're getting 0% on a bank account, and you can get 0% on cash out of the bank, well, one of those two things is much safer than the other, really, unless, of course, you keep in a mattress that gets slashed open. Um, but, you know, keep it out, keep it safe. That's something that Adam and I both recommend. Plus, on top of that, today we have negative interest rates. Other thing, too, is that there's more than one way to take your money, and a bail-in is just one way. Another way they can sort of call bail out the economy is they'll just declare a tax holiday. It means nobody has to pay any taxes. But the way they steal your money is then they'll pay the government's bills with, by creating more bonds or quantitative easing, which is another way of stealing your money. Any comments there, Adam? Uh, I think you're exactly right, um, and I think that's the path we probably can count on happening um, as we go forward from here. Uh, central banks have already shown that that's the path they prefer. Uh, the politicians certainly prefer that to uh, any anything that resembles austerity. Uh, because we, we, we believe in a progression called the Kapoom theory, where we think what's most likely to happen here is we're probably going to get a little bit of a, a deflationary um, uh, period first where um, the market begins to get away from the central banks, but they will then react very much in the way that you just predicted, Robert. And that's the point at which you need to get rid of your cash and deploy it into hard, tangible assets as quickly as possible. So the point here is be prepared to change. Any comments, Kim? 
No, I just, I'm just curious because that was always a question I had in terms of what do you do with your cash if you're sitting on cash. And I don't want to, you know, people don't want to keep it in their house because they're afraid they're going to get robbed. And so you're talking about a safe deposit box is one answer or smaller banks is another answer. It's just a, a question I've always had. So thank you, JJ, for asking the question. Uh, Melissa, what's the next question? Our next question comes from Jeremy in Washington. Favorite book, Cash Flow Quadrant. His question is this, what is the most important action step I must take in order to prepare for the upcoming economic storm? Well, I think, uh, you know, Chris and Adam listed three very important ones. Social capital means you got to hang out with people you trust who are smart and knowledgeable and prosperous. You hang out with poor people or desperate people, you might have to shoot them. You know what I mean? Because they don't have, I hate to say that, but as a former Marine, you know, they put us through training where we're hungry, cold, and starving. And we, turn, we, we revert back to primal within two to three days. So if somebody has, let's say, you know, kids, you know, husband and wife have kids, and then they're starving, and you have money, let me tell you, or you have food, or you have shelter, people revert back to orangutans pretty quickly. Any comments there, Chris and uh, Adam? Well, certainly uh, we think that... that Social capital is really, really important. Uh, and it's not just important because some crazy future might arrive, but it, it's shown to give people the highest quality of life today is to have good, solid connections. We now know that, that addictions that people might have to drugs or alcohol or other things are formed because of a lack of connections. And, and so having good, solid connections makes sense in any period of time, but it, they don't form overnight. They take time. It yeah. takes time to develop trust. It's not something you can rush out and buy. It's not something you can form in an afternoon if you decide you need it. It's just something that you have to say is a priority. Make it a priority. Go out there, do it. Doesn't take any money. It just takes uh, takes a little time, a little effort, and maybe um, uh, just opening up a little to your you know, friends and neighbors. Yeah, and there's a there's a book called Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor, and he talks the same thing. He says the number one thing people can do for happiness and quality of life is to have a strong social network. And just look at what's happening all over Europe right now with millions of, you know, very innocent people are migrating out of the Middle East, moving into Europe, which is now changing Europe. The trouble is no jobs for those people. There's no, there's not much shelter or food for them. So I know Americans sit there, oh, that'll never happen to us here. But you never know what's going to happen. You know, your neighbor may become your enemy if in the worst case scenario. So that's why we have Rich Dad Advisors and I and Kim and I have always said we've had our advisors, our friends who are prosperous, well-off, and forward-thinking, the same, the same as Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart are our friends. You know, Adam just bought his own beef farm, and he's going to be my very good friend in case you know, <laughs> I get hungry. <laughs> so anyway, do you know what I mean? It's and Chris has the chocolate company, chocolate so we got company. chocolate and beef. We're, we're, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to keep you guys close. Uh, and Kim and I live on an island with a lot of fish. In fact, there's an alligator or a crocodile right. alligator. alligator cruising around in front. He's happy, you know. And he's going to be a, he's going to be my fillet if he uh, if worse comes to a push. So the whole point here is to think about the bad news and then look for the good news. And your friendship, trust, your health. You know, people who are not taking their care of their health, that's dangerous. There's a book called One Second After, and the, it was about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, going across America. The first people who died are the people who were on medicine because they couldn't get medicine. So when you start thinking that way, and that book opened my mind up, so I've stockpiled medicine 
you know, and my, my dentist gets it for me, and he tells me because he's in the same mindset. So my, my dentist has all these stuff full of medicines I'm going to need in case something goes wrong. Now, you're going to say, well, that's really pessimistic. Well, you might be the person who is caught outside in the cold with nothing. So, Adam, what, would, what, what do you say would be the number one thing, um, along with social, your social network, what would, what would be the number one thing people could do today to prepare? Just get started. In the book, we talk about this concept called Step Zero, which is which just the smallest step that you can take today to begin building momentum on this. Uh, so many people, there's an inertia where they just always plan to do it tomorrow, uh, but never get around to doing it. And that first step really kind of breaks the ice and begins to prove to you that, that this is possible. And the reason why it's really important to begin to take these steps while everything kind of works the way that we're used to is you are going to make a lot of mistakes. And that's not a criticism. It's just the way we learn, right? We learn by trying things out, observing what didn't work so yeah. well, it's and figuring given. out how to do it better next time. Robert, you were just talking about your, your training during Vietnam, right? I mean, how much training did they put you through before you actually went into combat? I mean, the, the, the worst time to try to learn how to do something that's going to be very important for you for the first time uh, is not <laughs> – the worst time to do it is, is when crisis is here, right? Um, you want to make sure that you've, you've you know, learned how to grow things, that you've – you've learned how not to grow things. I mean, as a gardener, my first couple of years gardening really was more learning how, how to kill plants than, than to not kill plants. <laughs> yeah. um, so I would say getting started really is, is it, with almost anything, um, is, is uh, a key very first step. And in 1972, you know, I saw the Vietnamese getting ready to run because they, they knew the United States had, had abandoned them. And they knew the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong were going to kill them. And when you see the panic on people's faces like that, you never forget it. And I come back to America, and we're fat, dumb, and happy, you know, watching the Kardashians. Next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from Adam in Sarnia, Ontario. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. His question is this. How much more debt do you think the United States can handle until their dollar becomes worthless? That's a good question. Uh, Richard Duncan wrote the book, The Dollar Crisis, looks at Japan for that answer. And Japan right now is, uh, their debt is 250% of their GDP. In America, it's only like 120%. But I think Chris Martinson could better answer that question. But the answer is we don't really know. As long as people keep accepting it, things are fine. Anything, any comments, Chris? Yeah, you, you've, you've got it right. There is really no way to predict. If people were thinking logically, Japan's story would already be over. They have an aging population, and worse, they're actually losing population every year since 2008 uh, demographically for the next 100 years. And they're adding debt at an astonishing pace. So debt per capita is just skyrocketing. Anybody could look at this and say, wow, this doesn't, this doesn't work out. Sooner or later, this breaks. We can't predict when it's going to break. But what we can predict is that when it breaks, finally, it's going to be a real nightmare. You're going to find that the yen is going to become almost worthless very, very rapidly. Nobody's going to want to hold any of that Japanese debt. Uh, that's going to become rapidly worthless, and uh, it'll be a really unpleasant adjustment. So you can't, all you can do, it's kind of like looking at an earthquake fault line, and you say, well, the San Andreas is supposed to slip every, you know, 50 years, and it hasn't uh, for 60. When, when you see that, all you can say is the risk is getting higher. So, you, so the your your uh, uh, listener is asking a very important question. What we can tell is that the risk of this debt is climbing, and someday it's going to give way just like a fault line. So once again, you can submit your questions to Rich, Ask Robert at Rich Dad Radio. 
com. And I want to thank all of you for listening. I want to thank our guests today, Dr. Chris Martinson and Adam Taggart, authors of the book, The Crash Course, and their latest book, Prosper. As we said, the Rich Dad Radio Show is about the good news and the bad news, and may the bad news inspire you to make it a better, brighter future for you and your family. 